Welcome to TW Now, where we examine today's news in light of the Bible. I'm Scott Winnale. For those who do not believe in God or the Bible, death can be disheartening because it means separation from our loved ones forever. For those who do believe in the Bible, we often comfort ourselves with the thoughts that our loved ones are up in heaven looking down on us in peace, and we look forward to the time when we'll actually die and be reunited with them. But is this what the Bible really teaches? More importantly, what does the biblical festival known as the last great day, or the eighth day, have to do with the death of our loved ones and billions of others? This is an exciting topic to discuss, and our returning guests will help you see clearly from the pages of the Bible how your deceased loved ones and countless billions more who have lived in the past will live again. For those of you who are atheist or agnostic, please give us a chance today. If you do, you'll no doubt hear things from the Bible that you've never heard before. I'd like to welcome back Mr. Wallace Smith to our studio today. Mr. Smith is a Tomorrow's World presenter and minister. He's presented and written much on our topic today, including Tomorrow's World telecasts entitled Better Than Heaven and The Truth About the Rapture. So again, welcome back, Mr. Smith. It's really good to have you here. Thank you. And I'd also like to welcome back Mr. Hugh Stewart. Mr. Stewart, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Scott. Mr. Stewart is a minister and a field pastor in England. He's studied and taught about today's topic for many years and is extremely excited about this biblical truth. He's joining us via Skype from his home in England this evening. For our audience, today's program is being pre-recorded because we're currently away from the office celebrating the annual Feast of Tabernacles and Last Great Day festivals. Because of this, we will be unable to take your questions today. But we do re plan to return to live programming next week. Also, we do encourage you to like, share, or subscribe to today's program. And also be aware that you can listen to today's program in podcast form by simply searching TW Now on your favorite podcast app. Okay, gentlemen, let's go ahead and jump into the topic today. Mr. Stewart, I'd like to start with you. And then, Mr. Smith, please um, comment as you feel as you like. The question is, can you give us a little overview, a brief overview of the last great day, Holy Day? What is it? What is it all about? Um, sure. Um, what ha what has happened, or what will happen to billions of people who have lived and died in their sins? Are they in an ever-burning hell, or what about those whose lives were so empty and troubled that they committed suicide? Is there hope for such individuals? You know, these are big questions, sobering questions that deserve to be answered. And on the last great day, the topic we're about to discuss provides the answer to these questions. The last great day is one of seven festivals or holy days found in the Bible that tells us what happens to all who have never known the truth about God's way of life. It explains the truth about heaven and hell. It is a day that we will celebrate what will be a great reunion of loved ones, the fate of some of whom we have wondered about. And like all of God's holy days, the last great day reminds us that God has a plan of salvation for all mankind, a plan that is greater than anything we humans could have imagined. 
God's plan is not a guesswork. It is well laid out in step by step, in a step by step approach through prophecy and the holy days. And it gives us hope, it gives us joy, and it gives us a depth of truly uh, comforting truth. So when we think of the last great day, we are thinking of the great hope for all mankind. Okay. Mr. Smith, some additional thoughts about the last great day, Holy Day. Right, sure. It's, it's an exciting idea. I know when I, was, when I was younger, I had a big question about what happens to all of those who died, lived and died of the possibly 60, 80 billion people on earth who had never even heard the name of Jesus Christ, who had lived this life walking here to there, never even had the opportunity to believe in the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ. And what happens to all of them? And what's fascinating is you look at the Bible, if you look at John 6, 44, Jesus Christ says that no one can come to Him unless the Father draw them. But then you have this time, just as Mr. Stewart was talking about, there's this festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, it's seven days long. And if you look in Leviticus 23 and you read the description, it mentions there's this extra day, this eighth day, that doesn't have a, it doesn't give it a particular name there. Mm -hmm. uh, we call it the last great day because Jesus Christ Himself in John chapter 7, it says that He stood up on the last day, that great day of the feast, but He makes a statement that's very different than His comment in John chapter 6. He says there at that time, anyone who thirsts, if anyone uh, thirsts, just come to me and, and, and drink. And you look at that, that interesting statement that there's a time when only those that God the Father is calling to come to Jesus Christ really can do so and having their eyes open versus another time whenever anyone who thirsts, possibly. And we see in this last great day, this idea, and, and I, I, I believe we'll have time to cover other scriptures related to it, mm -hmm. when all of those who've lived and died and never had their first opportunity, that first opportunity to truly understand uh, the truth of what God wants them to do, the truth of faith in Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. will have that opportunity coming up for physical life again and being given uh, the opportunity that, that others had before them. Mm -hmm. Mr. Stewart made a comment as we were talking before the program about how there, there's no, Christ doesn't reference any other holy day with that modifier, with that adjective great. Mm. He doesn't talk about the great Passover or the great Pentecost, but he does mention this day as right. being a great day, a great holy day. Yeah. And it's exciting in that way. It truly really is. Let's... Um, Actually, let, let's talk about this quickly, too, a little modifier here. Mr. Stewart, how does this festival, uh, this last great day, how does this fit in with the bigger plan of God? Can you give us an idea? And then you can jump in, too, Mr. Smith. Yes. The God overall plan begins with the Passover. It opens up the opportunity for mankind to be reconciled to the Father, to have a relationship with the Father. And there are actually seven festivals, and each of those festivals is a step in God's master plan. We have the Days of Unleavened Bread. There are two of them, the first and the last Day of Unleavened Bread. And they, they, they point to the fact that we have to come out of sin, and we have to be clean. And the, the leavened bread represents the sin, and the unleavened bread represents Christ's um, purity. And then we have Pentecost, and that ties into this day as well, because Pentecost points to the giving of God's Holy Spirit, and that's the power 
that we need to live a godly life. Mm. And then we move from that to uh, the Feast of Trumpets that shows that Christ is coming back to set up a kingdom here on earth. But Christ himself said, you know, before you can take over a strong man's house, and this world really and truly is run by Satan, you've got to bind that strong man. And so we have, after the Feast of Trumpets, we have the, another step in God's master plan, the Day of Atonement, when Satan will be bound, he will be arrested, and he will be um, imprisoned. Then after that, we can celebrate the kingdom of God in the millennium, represented by the Feast of Tabernacles. And after that... In the, the millennium, have, how long does the millennium last? It lasts for a thousand years. Okay. And we will get, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit as well. We may reference that, but the, 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 the Feast of, of, of um, Pentecost is a seven-day feast that represents the millennium. And after that, as yes, you mentioned, the eighth day, we have the last great day that represents a time when all who are in the grave who will be resurrected. And if, if I might just quote from John chapter 5, 28 and 29, Jesus Christ said, uh, uh, um, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the grave will hear the voice of the Son of Man and will come forth. So there is coming a time when everybody who has not heard the name of Christ will have an opportunity to be resurrected and they will be given their first opportunity to know the true God, to understand God's ways, and to live that way if they choose to do so. Okay. That's a, a helpful overview. Anything to add? No, I just say I remember the first time I encountered these truths, the, the idea of the holy days, which I think you covered in a previous program, the sequence of holy days. And then look at these events in the Bible, exactly as Mr. Stewart was outlining, you see how each holy day and different facets of it, as described in the Old Testament, would correspond to these events that were clearly a part of God's unfolding plan. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking when I was a young adult and I was studying these things for the first time, that either this is a remarkable coincidence, and someone once said that the universe abhors coincidences, you know, either this is a remarkable coincidence, <laughs> or these writers of the Bible who were writing literally thousands of years ago were being guided to put something together that God Himself was using to show His plan. And when you look at that sequence, you look at Passover, you look at the Days of Unleavened Bread, the entire sequence that Mr. Stewart just mentioned so thoroughly, it all fits so well. And then when you get to the book of Revelation and you see here's this time, this thousand year reign coming of abundance and, uh, and joy, and you see that corresponding to the Feast of Tabernacles where everyone celebrated with such abundance in Israel. Uh, and then you have this additional period in both. You have an eighth day that isn't described in a great deal of detail that happens right after the Feast of Tabernacles. And then, sure enough, you look in Revelation and there's this period that occurs right after the millennium in which all of the dead, small and great, come up and books are open for them for the first time. And you just see what an amazing architect of history God has been and how He isn't allowing people to fall through the cracks. All the people we've worried about in our families and such that, that never had that opportunity, that God is not so capricious that they've just fallen through the cracks and there's mm -hmm. nothing He can do. He does have a plan for them as well. And it's just beautifully displayed in the Holy Days of Leviticus 23. 
Well, let's go there to the scripture some more. And I'd like to ask and invite each of you to to share with us some scriptures that really help prove that our loved ones will live again, and not just our loved ones, but frankly, all kinds of people who, as you've mentioned, never have had the opportunity to even know the name of Jesus Christ. You think about people all over the world who have grown up with different religions or no religion. What kind of scriptures can we go to? Can you prove from the Bible that what you're saying is not just a wonderful idea, but actually is, is what is taught? And why don't you go ahead and start, Mr. Smith? Well, sure. Uh, the, some of the passages I appreciate where Jesus was talking to the crowds and he explained to them concerning various cities, Capernaum, uh, Chorazin, the rest. And he said, you know, if you go back and look at Sodom and Gomorrah, you look at those cities, and if the works I just did in you were done in those cities, they would have repented. They would have actually given up their sins and would have accepted what I was doing, and here you are rejecting me. Well, you look at that and you think, well, then is God really fair, right? Here is God giving them an opportunity through Jesus Christ showing all of these miracles. At the same time, you look in the past, and if Jesus himself knew that had they seen those miracles, they would have repented. They wouldn't have been lost. And then you have statements by Peter and Paul saying that God is fair. God isn't a respecter of persons. You put that together and you see that God is obligated by his own words and his own character, his own commitment to give those individuals such a chance and indeed has promised to do so. That's one of my the favorite things I like to put together to illustrate uh, the principle here. I like the way you phrase that, that God is obligated by his own word. Right, he, right. He, he, he can't go back on his own word. He, he has to follow through. Yeah, like Paul says, he can't deny himself. He is who he is, uh, and he will be consistent with his, own, with his own character and fairness. Okay. Mr. Stewart, what are some scriptures that jump out for you? Go ahead. And just to follow up on uh, what Mr. Smith just mentioned, you know, the obligation that God has to fulfill His Word. He says in Second uh, Peter 3 and verse 9, I, I'll read it, it says, um, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Now, if God wants all to come to repentance, if that's His will, as we have just read it, then He has to make a way for them to do that. You know, He has to make a way for them to do that, and that is through the resurrection of all people, all who have never heard the truth, who never had an opportunity to know God's way of life. He has to resurrect them. He will resurrect them according to His Word and give them an opportunity to repent. Another, another um, scripture I made John just quote here is Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. Hear what it says. It says, How then shall they call on him whom they, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? These are just sensible questions. And how shall they hear without a preacher. Somebody has to tell people who have never known the truth, what the truth is, so that they can have an opportunity to repent and, and, and turn their lives to God's way. Mm. So these are just some scriptures that, that make very plain that God has a plan to help mankind. That's a powerful scripture to me as I think about 
I've heard people argue, well, the, the earth and the people in the world have heard. There has been a witness, but radio has only been around for, what, a little over 100 years to, to reach the ends of the earth. And even it didn't. Uh, we've only had the Bible published in many languages for the last, what, 50 or 60 years. But the Bible was only published in print so that the masses could read it only just a few hundred years ago. So prior right. to that time, nobody has really had that opportunity. Yeah, I'm, I'm sympathetic when I see people caught in a bind trying to explain God's goodness and God's fairness in the light of a world in which if you take those beliefs on the surface that many express that if you die and haven't accepted Jesus Christ then you're simply burning in an eternal hellfire. And you look at the history of mankind and realize the vast, 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 vast majority of mankind is suffering in an eternal hellfire mm -hmm. based on those beliefs that they try to somehow rescue God from such beliefs and paint a different picture of Him. And one of those, as Mr. Stewart's pointed out, they'll say, well, Paul says that, you know, the heavens bear witness you know, somehow that, you know, they've preached. Mm. But had they really preached a saving opportunity in Jesus right. Christ? No, plainly not. Paul actually addresses the kind of witness that creation gives, which is a very general witness to, to his existence, perhaps, and, and no more really than that. Peter says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, I think, he says, there's no other name in a given under heaven by which men may be saved than that of Jesus Christ. And if they haven't actually heard of Jesus Christ, then no, there's absolutely no hope for them. In fact, Paul talks to the, in many of his letters to the Gentiles, at least at one place, he tells them that before this, before their calling to Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. that there was no hope for them. They, were, they had no hope. They had no connection to God whatsoever. And so has God just purely abandoned them in some kind of way? Right. A picture of a God who has abandoned them. In some cases, I have, if I'm really honest, I've met many of those out in the world that you would think perhaps had not heard the name of Jesus Christ before. Mm -hmm. And frankly, they look like people to be more open than I would be, you know, more open to actually accepting such a message. Uh, do we think that those nations in which Christianity has spread more, more passionately in its form, are somehow more devout, that they're somehow better people? That just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You put all these things together, and God has to be consistent with Himself that He will give them an opportunity for hope, as other verses describe. Mm -hmm. So, back to you, Mr. Stewart. What are some other scriptures that jump out at you that really help illustrate this resurrection is coming? This great resurrection, by, we call it the second resurrection sometimes, uh, but the one that's pictured by the last great day. Well, if we, if we, if we look at um, Revelation uh, chapter 20, it tells us that the rest of the dead, it, it uses the, the, the term, the rest of the dead live not again. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 5, um, live not again until the thousand years. We mentioned the thousand years represented by the Feast of Tabernacle, the millennium. And so while the millennium is taking place, all who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ will be in their graves. But then we see that it says the rest of the dead um, will live after that thousand years. So there's definitely uh, that time coming when all mankind will be raised uh, from the dead. And Job, Job chapter 14 and verse 14, Job says we have to wait until our change comes. Uh, so there's a waiting period, and that waiting is in the grave. Some people will be resurrected first. 
there's a first resurrection and then there is a second resurrection and what we're talking about basically here about the last great day as mr smith uh, mentioned earlier is a the second resurrection a second batch of people who will be resurrected it doesn't mean that they they were resurrected once and they're resurrected a second time it's just a second group of people who will be resurrected and that second group of people they are the ones who have never learned God's way of life because they never heard it. They never understood it. Uh, and, and even if they heard it, they couldn't because something is missing. And we can touch on that in a little bit, God's Spirit. Okay. All right. To me, Revelation 20 is... It's amazing what God has packed in the book of Revelation. It's like there was one more book to go, and God made sure He gave us so many details that are hinted at in other places, but He makes right. sure that we get explicitly. And it really is interesting, exactly as Mr. Stewart just mentioned, we call it a second resurrection amongst ourselves because He makes plain earlier in Revelation 20 there is a first resurrection. And if there's a first, it makes sense that there's a second. And the first is relatively small. It's just those who have actually believed in Jesus Christ. The second resurrection described later in Revelation 20 is all small. It's, it's described as a much larger resurrection. And if you look, to me one of the evidences that you're asking about mm -hmm. is available in the words of Paul because Paul clearly knew about another physical resurrection in Romans chapter 11 and he's talking about his challenge seeing so many of his fellow Jews not believing in their Savior and dying and missing that opportunity in this life and he's lamenting that but then he makes this statement in Romans chapter 11 and verse 26 he says that all Israel will be saved he speaks of them as if suddenly it's not a tragedy anymore that he anticipates that there will be this opportunity and you wonder well, where would Paul come up with this and if you look in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 37 it's made popular by the song them bones them bones you know talk about the bones coming together and if you look at Ezekiel 37 it's a description of Israel coming up but clearly not to spiritual life like in the first resurrection but a very physical life it even speaks of the bones and the sinews and all those things being woven together again and in Ezekiel 37 God literally describes that as the whole house of Israel so Paul knew his Bible. If Paul says with confidence in Romans chapter 11, after saying that they're blinded for a time, and then says, however, all Israel will be saved, where do we see that? We see in Ezekiel 37, a physical resurrection of this vast body of, of, of humans. And it says this is the whole house of Israel. So Paul understood his Bible, you know, go figure, more uh, better than most people do today. So how would you respond? Mr. Stewart, you can grab this, or, or Mr. Smith with someone who says, okay, Ezekiel 37, yeah, I'm familiar with that spiritual that you're referring to about them bones. But when you look at that chapter, it seems too fantastic to be real. I mean, it sounds like a cartoon. You could just envision some <laughs> illustrator uh, illustrating this and, and putting the, all the people and the pieces back together and, and them living again and standing on their feet again and breathing air again. How do you respond to that criticism that this is, it's just a story, it's just allegory. How could it be real? Well, we, we respond to that by actually, Mr. Smith mentioned that earlier, looking at how God put this all together in His plan. There has to be a plan. God is not just, things are not just happening, you know, without a plan. And so God definitely has a plan. If you go back to, to 
the scripture Mr. Smith just raised, Ezekiel 37. You see, one of the things that God says he's going to do, he's going to put his spirit in them. And a big part of the reason why mankind is cut off from God is they do not have an understanding of God because they lack the spirit of God. And so what God has done, he has called just a small group of people to understand his way of life and his plan. He has given them his spirit so that they can obey him and be an example and a light to others. And then later on, he will have this great resurrection where he will pour out his spirit upon all Israel, but on, on all flesh as well. So the spirit of God is, is, a, is a big part of that. It's not a, it's not a, a, you know, a cartoon, it's not a joke. It's a real thing with a real plan. And it, 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 it requires the spirit of God to make it work. And that's something that God is definitely going to do. Mm -hmm. Right, I, I would add to that. He, so many things in the Bible have been cartoonized, if you will. When you see depictions of Noah's Ark, you tend to see them very cartoonish, and you think, well, you couldn't fit two elephants on that particular drawing. It's very cartoonish. When, if you're going to embrace God, one of the first questions you have to wrestle with is, do I believe in a God that is active in the world and is capable of doing miracles? And any definition of God that is worth having is one who is all-powerful, who is capable. If, if you're trying to understand what the Bible teaches about the life to come, about the afterlife, if you will, then you have to wrestle with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you really believe mm -hmm. that a man who was dead was suddenly alive again? And do you believe the testimony of these men that risked their lives, knowing that if he didn't actually rise again, they were dying for a lie, which history doesn't record individuals willing to be tortured to death for lies they don't believe. And if you embrace that, if God can raise the one man to life again, why can't he raise two? Why can't he raise three? We have to come to terms with the God of the Bible. If you're trying to justify all this outside of the Bible, well, have fun. But you need to wrestle with the God of the Bible. And once you do, you recognize he is a God who can make the water stand on either side so that millions of people can, can flow between them. He is a God that can raise the dead. He is a God that can turn rainy skies to, to drought conditions or vice versa. That all the things described of him in the Bible are a God are possible with a God who can do all things. And as Jesus Christ tells us, with God all things are possible. Mm -hmm. and, and just to follow up on, on Mr. Smith's point about the resurrection, why would God get involved in resurrecting people if he did not have a plan for resurrecting them? Why, why go through all the, the, the trouble of proving to us that there's such a thing as a resurrection, I can bring people back to life why go through all of that if he's not going to do something important and special with people after they are resurrected? There has to be a purpose. The Bible says there's a purpose for everything. And so there's a purpose for the resurrection. Christ is an example of that. Others who have been, uh, who have been resurrected but died subsequent, Lazarus and so forth. These are examples that the resurrection is real. Well, why is Christ resurrecting people then? just for them to be resurrected and die again and be resurrected and die again. No, he has a purpose. So the resurrection is a very powerful thing. And the last great day is all about resurrecting the vast majority of mankind and giving them an opportunity to know the ever-living one. 
Right, and opportunity. I, I remember when I first came to understand this particular truth, I was dating a girl uh, at the time in high school. If she's watching, just so you know, it's not nothing personal. Uh, she was a, a wonderful gal, but she did not like some of the things I was learning in the Bible, and, and we would discuss those. And she saw this as a second chance. Like, I understand, you know, there's, there's only one chance, and you're talking about everybody having a second chance. And that's not what the Bible talks about when it comes to this, this last great day resurrection, this second resurrection. We're talking about those who have never had an opportunity. The Bible's very clear that God has to open your mind to the Scriptures. In fact, after Jesus' resurrection, it talks about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. It talks about Him opening their minds and opening their eyes and that God has to call. And yet, the Apostle Paul says to those in Corinthians that God isn't calling everyone at this time. He isn't calling, say, the great and the mighty. He's calling the meek and the humble and frankly, the doofus is a little bit, you know, like me. He's calling a smaller group so he can work with a larger group later. When it says in Revelation 20, it says books were opened. The Greek there is, is the word that we use for Bible today, Biblios. It, it, it's used for Bible. And that for the first time, these books are open to them to understand. So it's not a second chance opportunity. It really is a first opportunity. And I think our understanding of God as a fair being includes the idea that he would ever want at least that one opportunity. So, so far you've talked, go ahead, Mr. Stewart. And then when, when, when uh, Mr. Smith um, talks about God has to open, open people's mind to understand, the, the, Paul also points out, he says, the carnal mind is enmity against God and it is not subject to the law of God. And he said they cannot mm -hmm. understand mm -hmm. God God's way of life. They just can't. This is a, it has to take a miracle from God for us to understand the things of God. And if it's a miracle, it means God has to perform it. He has to open our mind, as Mr. Smith said, so that we can understand it. And God is not doing that right now. He's just calling a few people whose minds He has opened to understand His way of life. But He's going to do that for everybody else because He's a loving God. It says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him. Christ did not just die for Christians. He died for all mankind, hoping that all mankind will one day become a Christian. So, it, 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 God, God is a very fair God. He's a very good God, a loving God. Mm -hmm. So, summarizing quickly... <clears throat> the last great day pictures this great resurrection that will occur after the 1,000-year millennium of Christ and the saints ruling on the earth. Those individuals will come up from the dead. They'll become physical human beings. God will give them access to His truth and His Holy Spirit. Then what? W what happens during that time? How long does that time happen? Do we have any idea? Right. There, there's a passage that suggests that in Isaiah, it talks about the, the child and the sinner being born uh, will, you know, will last 100 years. You know, they will be 100 years. Is that specifically referring to that time? God holds some details. One thing about God, he, 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 keeps us, he keeps us engaged. He holds a few of his cards close to his chest. Uh, the only verse that I've seen that, that possibly recommends a possible time is that it might be a period of 100 years, as it, as it says in the book of Isaiah. But uh, I, I look forward to finding out uh, from, from the perspective of getting to help with it. And what will, those, what will those human beings do during that 100 year period or however long that time lasts? I think it's a matter of 
of doing what we do. If you look, Peter talks about the house of God, meaning those who've actually been called, those who've actually been converted as Christians, and talks about how now is their time of judgment, and we're being judged according to the things that are in the books. Well, the Bible talks about that time in Revelation chapter 20, and it says that those who are raised up, this vast multitude, will be judged according to the things in the books. Well, the books being the books of the Bible, if you think about that, how are Christians being judged today by those things? We're walking in our life, we're learning and growing according to what those are. Uh, our life is adapting and changing. God's Spirit in us is being nourished. Why would it be any different for them? It's really interesting the word judge if you look at it. It says that they would be judged according to the things in the book. Most of us, well at least me, uh, I too quickly think of the word judge as sort of a decision, like rendering a verdict. But if you go back to the book of Judges, for example, it talks about all these different judges of Israel, and it says they were judging Israel for 40 years. But does that mean they were just going around just rendering verdict here? And then, no, there's a period of time. A judgment can take a period of time. And that's what they'll be doing, living life, but under the guidance of those who've been resurrected, those who've been glorified before them, mm. teaching and guiding in a way of life so that they might too also attain uh, to life in Christ. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that when you listen to Jesus speak, he talks about this period of time and he uses the term in that judgment. It will be better for uh, Sodom, uh, for Tyre and Zidon than for some of those cities Mr. Mr. Smith referred to earlier on, in the judgment, in the judgment. It's this period of time he's talking about when people's minds will be open, they will have the truth and, and God will basically say to them as he's saying to Christians, this is uh, the way of life. This is what I want you to do. I want you to turn the other cheek. I don't want you to steal. I want you to keep my Sabbaths. I want you to obey me. And then he's going to watch to see if these people will do that and do that from their heart. He will watch to see if they are eager to serve him or they will have some inclination and say, I just don't like this way of life. I prefer something else. What that something else is, we may not know. You know, that's the opportunity that people will have to look, to have their minds open to a better way of life and to make a choice, this is what I want, or no, I don't want that, I want something else. So it's right. a period of judgment. Yeah, and they will be interacting with other people at that time. They're, they'll be on the earth. One of the things I like to highlight that Ezekiel 37 talks about the whole house of Israel, but what about all those who are not a part of Israel? Do they come up as well? And very plainly they do. When Jesus Christ is condemning the Jews of his day, he highlights that, you know, when you come up, you know who else is coming up? He says the people of Nineveh are going to come up. You see, you know, the, the Queen of the South is going to come up. And how they responded to Solomon, they responded to Jonah. And you're not responding to me. He goes, they're going to look at you and wag their finger. Well, paraphrasing clearly, but you know, they're going to wag their fingers and say, and condemn you and say, why didn't you accept what you had when you had it? We didn't have this much, but we accepted what we had. Christ makes it clear that everybody will be coming up at that time. They'll be interacting and learning together. And uh, I look forward to seeing the details. Mm -hmm. Speaking of looking forward, I do have a question for both of you, uh, a brief one, but Mr. Stewart, we'll start with you. As you think about the last great day personally, how does the last great day have a special meaning for you? What do you look forward to about its fulfillment? Well, I, I tell you, I know DNA ancestry testing is, is a big thing today, it's a million dollar industry. Uh, a lot of people want to know their lineage and all of that. And for me, I'm looking forward to meeting my 
my grandfather that I never I never met on my grandmother from my father's side and just my family tree down the road you know that's something I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to a time I remember when I came into when God opened my mind and I finally came to understand his truth one of the hardest things for me to have believed was this this very thing we're talking about the last great day there's a booklet called this is not is this the only day of salvation and i never believed that at all i would always just frown at that book because i saw too many people who did wicked things and they were going to have an opportunity to, to be saved and i i couldn't believe that but you know what today i look forward to the last great day because it will put all the broken pieces together it will fix things finally and bring mankind to the place where God wanted us to be in the first place. And I look forward to learning the history of this earth for you know for the last six thousand years to meet people like um, Abel and even Cain and all of that, the, the different generation. And I look forward to a time when we will right the wrongs in a good way. And everyone will have a chance to repent. You know, it, it, it's an exciting time, mm. and I look forward to that a lot. Mm -hmm. Mr. Smith, I I want to express appreciation for Mr. Stewart's comment. I never thought about actually seeing my past family tree all assembled. Now I've got this picture in my mind of trying to get as many as you could even possibly fit in one selfie and everybody lining up and saying, all right, and everybody get behind and do this, this big tree. That would be wonderful. And, and they all look similar. Yeah, well, they would look like we're all part of the family. So, you know, with that, it is very personal. When I think of this last great day and I think of this resurrection, I think of faces. I think of my mother, whom, whom I miss. I think of my grandmother. I think of my grandfather. And I think of how wonderful it would be to be able to sit down with all of them. They've got a copy of the scriptures. I've got a copy of the scriptures, and we're sitting down together, and I've got it open in my lap. And there is my mother and father and their parents and their parents and their parents, as many as we can fit together in a little group, and yeah. just talk about these things together. Yeah. Conversations that not only did I never really get to have with even those I knew in this life, uh, but even those that I didn't get to, but to whom I am tied. It's Mm. It's a wonderful expectation. If I could share just briefly, in the last few weeks on TW Now, we've done several programs on the end of the age. Um, we've done one on the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and one on uh, the, the Feast of Trumpets and the events that will happen just prior to Christ's return. And you're talking about billions of people dying during those events as God pours out His wrath on mankind and as mankind pours its wrath out on, on Israel and the Israelite-descended nations. Some might say, well, how could a God do that? How could a, a loving God do that? Well, part of the reality is in the last great day, because those people aren't going to stay dead. God's going to resurrect those people who he allowed to die, and in his mind it's sort of a pause in their life, and he's going to hit play again in that last great day, and they're all going to have the opportunity, after being humbled, through those incredible events, but have the opportunity to finally learn his way of life and repent as well. Exciting. Final question for you gentlemen. Uh, and we'll start with you, Mr. Stewart, as you think about what we have talked about today. Uh, go back over what we've talked about. We've shared some pretty amazing things from the Bible, from the pages of the Bible. What kind of a message do you want, take-home take message, do you want our audience to bring away from our conversation today? What do you want them to go home with? 
Well, you know, uh, gentlemen, it, it is hard for people to believe, yet it is true that God is not calling everyone at this time. And the fact is, according to Revelation 12 and verse 9, Satan has deceived and continues to deceive the whole world, with the exception of those few whom the Eternal has redeemed for himself, a small number of people. To redeem anything is to buy back. And the only, only those who have been bought back from Satan's deception can understand God's truth. Why? Because God gives them his Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the carnal, the natural man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We need God's Spirit to understand the things of God. And the last great day is that time that God has reserved for everyone to receive the Spirit, if they desire it. I think the vast majority of mankind after they have been taught God's way, after they have gone through this age, after they have suffered, after they have you know, faced headaches and pain, when they see what God has in store for them for the future, I think they will repent. The vast majority will repent. And that to me is very, very exciting. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Mr. Smith. Well, for me, I would encourage our viewers to, if they have questions related to this sort of time, not just these questions, any large questions, to not let go of that, but to follow where those questions lead you. For me personally, this exact question, what happens to those who have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ, never even had the opportunity, what happens to them when they die? It was that very question that was one of the chief questions that God used to open my mind and to lead me to Jesus Christ and to know the things that I do. It was this, this dichotomy between how oh, the Bible describes God one way and at the same time all these people are going to be suffering and you know, won't have an opportunity. But how do I reconcile all of that? How do I reconcile God's description of Himself with all this? And so many people settle. Mm -hmm. They settle for a picture of God that, well, I know it seems cruel or capricious, that either he doesn't care or he's too weak. Uh, I, it's a battle between him and the devil, and the devil seems to be winning, and they just sort of settle for it and think of it as a mystery they can't understand. When, as Mr. Stewart's pointed out, if God is working with you, if he's opening your mind, because he'll work with people with his spirit, as they accept that, he can bring them to a point where he can give them his spirit at baptism. If they'll be willing to open their minds, open their hearts, follow those questions where they lead, mm -hmm. open to whatever the Bible has to say, even if yeah. it's the opposite of what you thought the Bible said, those questions can lead you to some amazing things. So I would encourage our audience not to give up on those questions. Those very questions could be the very things that drive you exactly where God wants you to go. Okay. Thank you for that, and thank you for being back on the program today. Oh, you bet. Mr. Stewart, thank you for joining us this evening all the way from England. <laughs> You're welcome, sir, and thanks for having me. And have a wonderful feast and everything. Thank and you. we look forward to meeting again. Yes, thanks sir. for having sharing time with me, Mr. Smith. Thanks. Oh, you bet. Very My nice. pleasure. God's biblical holy days, discarded by most professing Christians, are powerful annual reminders of God's incredible plan for mankind, as we've talked about today. And the last great day festival is certainly one of the most meaningful.
This festival reminds us that Christ came to earth, died and was resurrected so that all mankind could have a chance at salvation. Most of humanity has never had a true chance to be exposed to, to learn about, to practice, or to choose God's way of life, as Christ himself makes us aware of with his own examples. It is God's plan that one day in the future, the majority of humanity, those who've not had the true chance yet, will be resurrected to life in the flesh, taught God's truth, and given an opportunity to make their own decisions in the truth. The God of the Bible is eternally fair and merciful. He's not willing, as we've been told today, that any should perish, and he plans to give everyone a chance to repent. Many of your loved ones and mine will live again, and when they do, they will be given a full, fair chance to choose God's way of life. If you want to find out more about what the Bible really teaches about this topic, be sure to read our booklet, The Holy Days, God's Master Plan. It will give you more insights into our conversation today. And we do invite you to join us again next week on TW Now when we discuss the topic, Should Christians Celebrate Halloween? We'll be back live for that program. We invite you to share and be sure to subscribe and like our program today. And we'll see you again next week.